Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. My son's back here drawing pictures. I just wanted to share with you all. This is his rendition of the story of Zacchaeus. Maybe you can see it, okay? Here's a big tree. We got Zacchaeus up here, Jesus down here, right? And he said, Jesus, I need to come to your house. Zacchaeus says, yay, and the whole crowd says, ugh. Great job again. So, uh, my friend uh, Tony Webb leads an organization called Vision USA, and he does some consulting and coaching work for the Brethren Church as a whole. Um, he's been teaching folks how to gather people to Jesus, the unique role of gathering in uh, the, the missional work of the church. In a recent newsletter, Tony shared some news about a guy named Billy. Uh, he said, I'll pull it up here for you if you want to read along. Billy is an effective gatherer who has been gathering families into Indian Atlantic Fellowship for 18 months. That's a church plant down in Florida. Although Billy had not yet given his life to Jesus Christ, he was a powerful gatherer for Jesus' mission. And last weekend, Billy received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Praise Jesus. I can't wait to see all that God has in store for Billy, the India Atlantic Fellowship. And did you catch that? For a year and a half, 18 months, Billy has been gathering whole families into this church plant. And Billy hadn't even yet decided to follow Jesus before doing that. I, I thought that was so interesting. And uh, so Tony Innes is sharing some wisdom, some of the same wisdom I've learned from my own time in leading outreaches with folks in parachurch ministries. And that's that sometimes the best evangelists, the best gatherers aren't even Christian at all. I remember this time uh, in Las Vegas when we were leading uh, teams of students to go out and do uh, street evangelism. There was one group in particular where there was a student where I don't remember her name. We're going to call her Jessica just for the sake of the story. Uh, Jessica was a part of this group, uh, and she came with this youth group, but was an atheist. She, she uh, said that about herself, but one of her friends had invited to get her to go on this trip, and she said, why not? Uh, and she decided to go all in. And so when we would go out to tell people about Jesus, she was like, well, I'll do it. I'll say all the things that I've heard from you all, even though I don't believe it, but I'll at least join in on, on the fun herself. And she ran circles around the rest of the group. She was great at it. <laughs> she was great at talking to people about Jesus. Uh, and some of it was a bit tongue-in-cheek for her, but she started to discover throughout the week as she saw people hear about Jesus and it actually seemed to like click with them and they were experiencing this like change in the conversation, she started to say, maybe there's something to this. She actually started to believe just by sharing with other people about the Jesus she didn't believe in at that time. So we find that sometimes there's this great value in this. We see the same truth demonstrated by Levi and some of his friends in our text this morning. 
So this text that Tracy read uh, shows up in, in three out of four of our gospel accounts. But the name is actually different in every single one of them. Um, I don't even have that up there on a slide, so I don't know why I'm clicking. Um, in Luke, it's simply Levi. Uh, in Mark, it notes him as Levi, son of Alphaeus. In Matthew, it calls him a different name altogether. Do you know what name they call him? The Gospel of Matthew? Matthew. <laughs> it's actually uh, a whole different name. Tradition holds that this former tax collector is actually the writer of the Gospel of Matthew. It's the tradition. He likely went by both names, Levi as his Hebrew name and Matthew as his Greek name. Um, but name confusion aside, the other details are nearly identical. All right. In Jesus, call a tax collector, Levi or Matthew. Then Levi invites Jesus to go meet his friends, and then the religious folks don't like it. That's the basic premise of the text. This teaches us, I think, a few very important lessons about gathering others. What it looks like. By the way, I forgot to mention it. This is our second week in the Gospel of Mark. We're kind of journeying chapter by chapter through it, looking at little scenes. Uh, as we mentioned earlier in the announcements, we do have these meeting guides. Uh, I think it's in the chat box for those who are, um, are joining us online, if you, you want a copy of that, just to be reading through the whole gospel while we're looking at highlights. Well, let's see what we learn from this text this morning. First thing, Jesus can use pretty much anyone for kingdom work. Levi slash Matthew was a tax collector. People had a pretty thorough disdain for tax collectors at this time. People still do today sometimes have negative attitudes towards uh, tax collectors. I remember a news segment that I saw at one point uh, that I decided not to show today because it's actually a little bit um, hard to watch. There's this guy who's coming in uh, trying to recollect a, or, or, or repossess a car from someone who's uh, got back taxes they haven't paid. And he's standing in, in front of them, uh, in front of their car, and she gets in the car and drives off and ran, runs over her, his leg, like knocks him over to the ground. That's how much people dislike tax collectors, is that people, this guy was just trying to do his job, right? But in Jesus' day, it's not just because of a frustration in paying taxes in general or, or letting go of money. It's, it's also specifically about the individuals who were collecting the tax. Like we shared about Zacchaeus earlier, they were known were exploiting the system, often lying about how much was due and then skimming the excess off the top themselves. Now, we know that Zacchaeus did this. We aren't told whether Levi took advantage uh, of others like this. Or not. It's also not denied in the text. It just doesn't come. We have zero context or explanation for why Jesus chose Levi. Was he like a more righteous uh, tax collector than others, or, or what happened here? For reasons were never wholly given, Jesus just saw some potential in Levi that other people didn't, the same way that he did with all of his disciples. Levi did not hesitate to respond. Didn't hesitate. And this abrupt life change was apparently enough to trigger some great interest from Levi's friends. Because when he invites them over to come meet Jesus, we see that enough of them show up uh, to this party that people start to notice. There's a crowd that's gathered. The fact that so many tax collectors and sinners show up, it reinforces my earlier point as well, that 
Christian or new Christians or even non-Christian people can make excellent gatherers primarily because of their relationships of a non-Christian. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out why so many tax collectors showed up to Levi's banquet because they were his friends. He had other tax collector friends. They were the people that he hung out with all the time. What is interesting, though, that Jesus there too. You'll notice that Levi didn't gather his buddies to the synagogue hear Jesus. He didn't even invite them out to the mountainside to say, hey, this guy Jesus, he often teaches out here in the plains or on the mountain. You should come here. He has some really important things to say. Instead, Levi invites Jesus to come to one of his parties and invites Jesus to, for other people to see him. And Jesus does it. He shows up. How often do we do just the opposite? One of the first things we often think of is, well, let's get people to church. One of the biggest weaknesses that many church-going Christians have when it comes to outreach is we end up surrounding ourselves with a bunch of other Christians to the point where we don't really know anyone. I don't know how many times I've heard over the years as I talk about sharing faith uh, from other people, well, I just don't even know who I would share. Who would I invite to church? Who would I uh, tell the gospel to? Everyone that I know already knows Jesus, already goes to church. So it's hard then to break out of that. Now, here's the thing. That's the worst end of it. I'm a pastor. I don't just find myself hanging with Christians a bunch. A lot of my friends are professional Christians. <laughs> They're people who are other pastors or who are seminary professors or who are working in the national office or, or missionaries. I have to make a real effort to get out of the Christian bubble. So once you get out of the bubble, though, you then have to be able to actually empathize with, understand people on the outside of it. Deprogram yourself of all the Christianese and learn a different language. And it can be quite a, a bit of effort to do that. The point of all this is that new Christians can sometimes feel like they are they aren't equipped enough to witness to others. Or there are some non-Christians who are supportive of the work of the church, but they don't really feel like they can help. But both have a very real advantage. And that's that, uh, an advantage that longtime Christians don't have. They have less work to do escaping the bubble. They already have a network of people who aren't inside the church. They already know the language that other people are speaking. They're the perfect bridges for church folks to enter into a different space. That leads me to a practical observation for both new and long-time followers of Jesus, for us Christians. And that's that distance from sinners, it may help us to avoid some specific temptations, but it will ultimately cripple the witness. So in direct contrast to Levi, we have the religious leaders whose primary, fo primary focus is protecting the people who are inside the bubble. So um, even in rabbinical law or in the Pharisees, what they were, were doing, they, they would talk about the fence or the Torah. Sometimes there were traditions that were built up in order to try to help people make sure that they were righteous, to keep away from sin. So it might not even be uh, instructions or advice that doing this thing uh, or not doing this thing was sin per se, but it kept you away from the sin of action. 
And we do this in the church all the time as well, even today. We try to build up systems that will protect us from things that might cause us to stumble. That's maybe the, the better way to translate it in today's language. We don't often use clean, unclean terminology. Uh, but we say we want to make sure that we're not leading ourselves or anyone else to stumble. So they want to know why Jesus and his disciples would be meeting with this crowd. They are tax collectors and sinners. That group is often lumped together, uh, both as a behavioral description, but also social one. The religious-minded, both were regarded as ceremonially unclean and both were dangerous to be around. Tax collectors had continual contact with Gentiles. They worked on the Sabbath. They were morally corrupt. Sinners was often just a catch-all term used by the Pharisees to refer to people of low reputation because of blatant sin, what ran rampant, like prostitution or, or theft. There's a definite hint of judgment in their statement. But notice here also that Jesus does not argue with their assessment. Jesus doesn't say, why don't you just assume they're sinners? Instead, he says, I didn't come out come to hang out with righteous people, but with sinners. Call them So Jesus, the religious leaders, even the crowd at the dinner party themselves, all of them seem to agree with the state of those in attendance at the dinner party. The disagreement is in how those folks are supposed to relate to them. The Pharisees are baffled that Jesus and the disciples would be anywhere close to them. So we, we often do the same kind of thing. Like, should we even interact with people who are, who are in sin? Should we go to bars? Should we go to places that are you know, known to be places where you shouldn't be as, as Christians. You don't want to be a, cause yourself to stumble. You don't want to leave someone else to sin or even give the projection that we are accepting a certain kind of behavior. It seems like we should button down the hatches, especially in a time when the culture seems to be drifting further and further away from Christian values. Don't we need to make sure the people inside are being formed in the right way before we think about inviting others? Well, remember here also that Mark's gospel is written while Christian, Christianity is still a small sect within Judaism, which is itself is a small player in the larger Roman Empire. Monotheism is not the norm. And in fact, as we shared last week, persecution is happening all the time. Mark is writing to prepare uh, and, and equip and instruct a church that's under fire for many of the disciples of Jesus. And still we see in Mark's gospel that the example of Jesus is open-handedness, hospitality, peace. So Jesus is not unconcerned with righteous living, but he takes a very different approach. We see some specific fruit from Levi. While the religious folks are busy worrying about whether they should even be spending time with those people, those people are gathering whole crowds to Jesus in a way that transforms I think the most important difference here to note is that Jesus transcends the binary. We often think there's like two options that we have in responding to a secular world. Either we distance ourselves from sin and temptation, we kind of cloister off by ourselves, do our own thing, or we try to engage with the world and we just do the same stuff and do our best not to be. 
But as Jesus is great at doing, he offers a third way. Instead, Jesus says, I can just go with you. Just go with you. Levi is with the same people that he's always been around, but he's not doing the same thing to do. He's invited Jesus and the other disciples to meet his vice versa. So what if, what if when a new believer came to faith, Christians didn't ask them to abandon their social friends? What if we asked them to introduce us? And not by inviting them here to church, what if we all just got together for a cookout? We got together in each other's home, really spend time. Maybe then the world would start to see the truth of the gospel where they are. That God has come to us even while we were yet. I remember a moment, a mission trip in India, where we intentionally kind of got out of the area where all the tourists were. We're trying to go out to the streets and conversation with people. We were on a street corner, uh, just sharing, talking with folks first, listening, and then sharing a little bit about why we were there. And, about the gospel, and I had one person stop me, and as we were talking through a translator, they said, well, why are you here? Well, I already, already told you we came to India. For the, like, but yeah, but here on this street corner, like, why are you here, here? And just like, well, Jesus changed my life. He had to let me know, and so we wanted to let people like you know about Jesus. And they were just flabbergasted that someone had gone all the way around the world to come to their street corner right there to share with them this news. That, that didn't seem like huge to me, but it's really, it's the profound truth of the gospel that the God of the universe humbled himself to come all the way to where we are. Not to hope that we would get ourselves righteous enough or to do whatever we could to get to him. He us. us. Oh, we're still lost. Romans 5.8 that we read earlier in the service. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Paul says this as someone who literally was having Christians killed when Jesus stopped him in his tracks with a vision and changed his life. Paul knows this kind of love profoundly. That before he even got it, while he was still very messed up in his thinking, that Jesus loved in a profound way. Jesus loved us in this kind of way, drawing near to us in our brokenness, transforming our lives, changing hearts through self-giving love. And we can be empowered to do the same. Draw near to him. You don't have to have your life all cleaned up or your beliefs all figured out before you can share Jesus with others. You just need to experience Jesus and other people. That doesn't mean that theology doesn't matter. It does. It doesn't mean that right living doesn't matter. It does. But all of that can be ironed out along the way as we are living life with Christ. It would be ridiculous for me to have thought that I needed to know every single thing about my wife before I could say I do. But it is also important that Somewhere along the way, I should probably be learning more, more about her. Long, right? That's how theology works. That's how our relationships work. That we learn more and we commit to others every day. But there's something about just the knowing and experiencing the moment. 
commit to continue learning. So our news, our, our response for this today is, you know, if you're feeling new to this old Jesus thing, the invitation to come and see. To know that there's nothing you could ever do or have done to make Jesus love you less. To know that he can use you even now for his kingdom. And if we've been doing this Jesus thing for a while, this is encouragement to us to break out of our bubble. To see, to know, and to love others. Because there's no place that's dark enough for the light of Jesus not to ever bring hope. The question is, will we shine? Lord, we thank you for your hope and goodness. We thank you for the example. We thank you, Lord, for stories like this, stories of Levi, stories of Billy, students, even before yet. All. Thank you that you loved us. Before we had anything to do with before we ever even thought of our parents, you have known us, loved us, shown and demonstrated how deep that was. Your initiative of grace is captured all. We want to extend that out. So we always Thanks again for listening today to Sermons at Smoky Row Brethren Church. If you enjoyed this message, would you consider leaving a rating or review or share a link to it on your social media page? All of those things can help to spread the reach of this podcast and make this resource accessible to more people for their spiritual growth. Or if you believe in the mission and the work of our congregation and want to support what we're doing, you can give online at smokyrow.org give. Link available in the show notes. All of our ministry work is funded by the generosity of people like you. Until the next time, may the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may lead you. And the peace and the power of his Holy Spirit. See you soon.